All right, Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, we're only going to do half a verse today. But it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know, uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s, a lot of what I learned was from uh, self-help books. I remember uh, Charles J. Givens. I think he ended up being a crook, but he had a lot of good <laughs> advice in his books. You know, his book was, uh, what was it? I can't remember the name of his book, but it was how to get how to get rich without something. How to, I, I can't remember, but I used to study that thing. And then he had another one about, uh, but it was a self-help books. So it doesn't matter. I didn't write it down because it wasn't important, and I just thought of it. I just thought of him. But I'd read these books, and one of the things that I learned, whether it was Franklin Covey or any of that, was that when you don't have a goal, you kind of flop around on the ground like a fish. Nobody said that, but that's kind of what it's like. When you don't have a goal, you don't have life in you. When you don't have an idea of where you're going, you, know, you just kind of float along with the tide. You're just kind of like out on the beach. You ever been out on the dike and you see the tide coming in and you see the nasty stuff kind of wash in and then wash out and you see the waves kind of coming? That's what you like. The Bible says double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, and it's, it's just like being on the wave of the ocean. You just kind of float around. Now here in the King James it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, I know in the other Bibles that you got there, some of you may be looking at your Bibles and seeing something besides perish. Um, the Bible, what does the Bible mean when it says there is no vision? The people perish. Over in the NIV and the ESV, both of those translate the Hebrew to mean cast off restraint. Some of you are seeing that, right? Cast off restraint. Now, if you work that out, and you just look at that. When you cast off the restraint, and let me give you this. When we ignore, neglect, or deny God's word, we eventually loose ourselves from the boundaries set by God himself. We run wild. As a result, we're likely to fall into sin and ultimately perish. Leaders, uh, and that's a quote from one of my books. The King James cuts right through it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know what happens when you fall into sin, when you cast yourself off from the restraints that God provides? You can, you can perish. You, you, you'll, you'll die out physically and spiritually. If you're saved, you can die. your spiritual life can run just as dry as we talked about last week. If you're not saved, the wages of sin is death. You know, the condemnation is already there. You don't have to do anything. So there's a two ways that you can die out where there is no vision. So today I want to talk about some vision. You know, I'm not talking about setting goals. That's the way I used to look at it. But we need to have a vision in our Christian lives of some things that God has for us. And those are the things that motivate you in your Christian walk. Because there's a lot of people that get saved and then they just kind of float on from there. They get saved and they get across the threshold and say, whew. It was a little hot over there, but I have eternal life. And they say, well, let me go on back to doing what I was doing. And that's, that's where you can end up sliding in. If you don't have a vision of these things, and there's five things I'm going to list. Hopefully we'll get through them all. But if you don't have a vision of these things, you're liable to get caught up. Some of these points, and the importance of a vision. This isn't the sermon. This is just something I found. But it says a vision reveals the unknown. A vision or revelation from God reveals the things that we don't understand. A vision inspires us to persevere. When you know what's ahead, when you know there's something ahead of you, you'll persevere to reach that goal, right? If you don't have, if you don't look down the road and see where you're going, you know, I remember uh, going out on the boat with my stepdad, and uh, it was the first time going fishing, and I think if it hadn't been for him taking me out, I had never known what it was like. But going out on the water with him, and he'd rent that boat over at Louie's Bait Camp. You know, they used to have the wooden boats, and you'd take a, you, you know, all he could afford at first was a trolling motor, and, and then later he got him a 25 horse. But when we had that trolling motor, it took forever to get anywhere pushing that big boat. 
And some people I think about when they're, when they're running short on intelligence, you know, it's like, well, they're pushing a yacht with a five-horse motor because <laughs> I know what that's like. But when he got that big motor, you know what happened? I learned what a hernia was <laughs> through him lifting that motor. And uh, I found out about later in life. But one of the things that I remember is when we were out on that water and he let me as a kid take a hold of that tiller or take a hold of that motor, you know, and that's a big responsibility for a kid. And you're, you're on there in the boat and I'm steering it and we're kind of going this way and that way and this way and that way. He said, no, you got to look out over the horizon, pick you a point of land and aim toward it. And that's how you got to do. And in your Christian life, if you're not looking out to the other side, you're going to wander back and forth, wander back and forth, because you're looking at the rocks, you're looking at the waves right in front of you, and you'll get caught up in everything. And we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again, and we'll keep on talking about it until the day we're out of here. But you, you take your eyes off that distant goal. You're just going to be washed up in the waves. A vision inspires us to persevere. When you, when you think you're about ready to give out, I've read about Richard Wormbrand, and I've read about Harlan Popoff and all the time that they spent in prison. You know, they had their eyes on Jesus Christ. They had their eyes on heaven and on eternity, and they saw the men around them. They had a vision of the things of God. A vision disciplines our hopes. You know, when you have a vision, those other things that seem important in the moment, you realize, you know what, this didn't really help me toward that goal. This is fun for the moment, but this isn't helping me toward this goal. You start to shuck things off. Let's get Southern here. You start to shuck off some of those things that are holding you back, some of those besetting sins. It's like, this is keeping me from being with Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is keeping me from leading people to Christ. There may be something in your life when people see it in your life. You say, well, that's not so bad, you know, for me, for other people it may be. But you realize, hey, what I'm doing here is hurting them coming to Christ. It may be causing them to stumble, may be causing them to, to keep from coming to Christ. Man, I remember years ago I was at a revival meeting. I'm sitting there in the meeting, and I'm under conviction, and the Lord speak to me back then. But we're sitting there, and there was a young man over there, and you could just see it in his face. And there's just something in me saying, go talk to him. I go over there and I talk to him, you know, and we go into the back room and I try to lead him to the Lord. And uh, he said, you know, I came here with my friends. They go to this church. He said, but, you know, we were just out drinking the other day. <laughs> he had a hard time believing there could be any change or any difference in knowing Christ because his friends were going through the same sin as he was. Will it kill you? Will it send you to hell? No. But does it cause someone else to stumble? Paul says, I'll eat no meat while I yet live it. You know, it, if meat maketh my brother to offend, I may twist this up. But if meat maketh my brother to offend, I'll eat no meat while I yet live. So there's things in your life. But when you've got the goal and you say, you know, I want to lead people to Jesus Christ. I want to be a testimony for other people. It's not you saying, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. It's you saying, I don't want this mess. This is stopping me from my goal. The vision, the vision of the things of God, that's what pushes you to let go of this other stuff. That's what pushes you to let go of sin and to, and to move toward God. So the vision helps you to persevere. So what are the things that we need a vision of? Number one, we need a vision of God's holy word. That's the foundation for everything. You know, it occurred to me when I was in the jail and I'm talking to them young men and, and the fella comes in and he's, he's beginning to give his own doctrine and things that he's figured out from listening to sermons and things like that. And I'm I, I, trying to pull him back in. But I realized once I started teaching the Bible, once you're in the Bible, there's no argument. The Bible is the way we know about Jesus Christ. It's through the Bible that we know about the sacrifices and offering. We were in Genesis this morning. We're looking at the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible tell you? We can come up with all of our own things, and we can decide. Our, we can create our own God and our own heaven and do all of that. But when you go to the Bible, and this is what God preserved for us all down through the years. People died over this word. 
People died over having a copy of the Bible in their house. There's men in prison that treasured just a few leaflets of the Bible coming to them. There's men in prison that when they got a hold of the Bible, they were memorizing chapters and memorizing books so that they could help each other. And this one knew those verses, and this one knew those verses. And they put them together, and God was their meat and their drink while they're in that prison. You need a vision of God's holy word in your life. Matthew 4.4, Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Doesn't mean that you don't need to eat real food. But the real food, the spiritual food, comes from God and comes from his holy word. That's when you have a vision of God's holy word. If you're trying to walk your Christian life without God's holy word in your life, if you're trying to say, well, you know, I've learned all that I need to know. Let me tell you something. You don't, the, the teaching doesn't stop. God speaking to your heart doesn't stop. You say, man, I've been over this passage so many times, and I've seen this, and I've seen that. Let me tell you something. Let God show you something else. Something's going on in your life, and God says, right there. And it's like, man, I didn't see that before. It's spiritual suicide to try to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Bible. Over in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know the will of God for your life? There's a lot of people go through life and say, Well, I want to know what the will of God for my... Should I be doing this? Should I be doing... You want to know what the will of God is in your life? It's through the transforming of the Word of God. It says right here... to that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can make up everything that you want, and you can go in your Christian wall and say, well, God approves of this, God approves of that. Let me tell you something. There's so many times I sat down to write a sermon, or I've written it out in my head before I sit down, and I start to study it out. It's like, well, it doesn't say that at all. That, that says something totally different. It's a whole day, and I chuck everything out the window and start over. These words are given by inspiration, and they breathe spiritual life into you. They nourish your soul. You're born again by the words of God, and you're sustained by his words. It's, it's only, we only know about salvation through the word of God. But there's something that will block your understanding of the word of God, because you can just read and read and read, and it'll be just another book. I don't know if y'all have ever been there. I remember in my life, I remember sitting there with the, with the pocket testament in my back pocket. And I remember being at work and I'd get a break and I'd sit down. And this was years and years ago, back before I even surrendered to preach. I was, I was out there working at the plant. In the, I had my own little water treatment thing and I'd sit there and I would try to read. I didn't understand what was going on at all. But there's something that blocks you. You can be blocked from understanding God's word. You can have his words in front of you and it's like just you don't it doesn't even land. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see it says, And Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. God wasn't talking to him. There was no open vision. There was something going on. God's word was precious. Something in short supply becomes even more valuable at the time. And at the time, Israel wasn't hearing from God. And there was a reason for that. Look over in First uh, Samuel chapter number 2 if you want. If you want to keep up. If you can flip that fast. First Samuel chapter number 2. And look at verse number 12. Because there's a reason there was no open vision from God. It says in verse number 12, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Those were the priests. Eli was the head priest and his sons were priests. They, they were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething and with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. And so they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. 
You think about the sacrifices that are made. You think about the people that went to, the, went to Shiloh to offer their sacrifices, and they took along that lamb, that firstborn lamb that they had raised all year long, and they, they, had, they had treasured that, but that lamb was going to be the sacrifice for their sins. And they brought other animals also, but they took them for the sacrifice, and the priest was entitled to the sacrifice, but after it was sacrificed to the Lord. You understand the Lord made provision for the priest. Levi didn't get lamb because he was to live off the spiritual or to live off of the offerings of the Lord. But, he, but Eli and his sons, and I say Eli too, because if you read a little later, it says when Eli fell over, he broke his neck because he was heavy. I think he'd been dipping in the pot too. You know what we do in, in uh, I've said it before, our children do in excess. So, they were, they were stealing the offering of the Lord before it was even done. And if any man, verse number, uh, verse number 15, also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. In other words, we don't like the way you cook it. And that's all they saw the offering as. That was their provision. And let me tell you, there's a whole nother sermon on that about preachers that are hirelings. That that's all they're worried about is to pay, or that's all they're worried about is what they get out of the church, or that's all they're worried about. And there's the danger in that. But there's a provision for the priest, but there's still a danger within uh, thinking of the offerings that are given to God as yours. And that's what they were doing. He said... Uh, Verse number 16, and if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently and then take as much as I soul desire it, then he would answer him, nay, but thou shalt give it me now. If not, I will take it by force. Imagine what that was doing to people's heart. It's not hard to imagine because you can see what it does to people's heart nowadays. People that are burnt by a church or burnt by a preacher or burnt by a, a, a system it says, give us money, give us money, you know, and becomes powerful and then tells other people what to do. And that could be at any level. I've seen it in churches at 10 or 15 or, or all the way up. You say, well, how do you say? I've just seen a bunch of different churches. We, we've been to a few when we've moved, you know. It's not that I've seen corruption everywhere, but I've seen the people that are hurt by it too. And they don't, they get a bad taste in their mouth. Imagine the taste in their mouth they're getting. They're coming to offer to the Lord. They've got their sins on their heart. And someone is turning themselves to the Lord. And you see that over here in 1 Samuel chapter number one with Hannah. She goes to the Lord and she prays with her heart open before him because she wants a child. And she's praying before the Lord. And Eli, he's so corrupt, he goes up to her and he, he gets on her for being drunk, for talking to herself. The priest is corrupt, and he's corrupting the people. And it says, if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat. But verse number 17, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So at the holiest moments... In the peoples of Israel's life, there was sin taking place among the priest. So when there's sin, <coughs> there's no open vision. You got to have a vision of God's word. But if you want God's word to open up to you, there's another thing that you need. And that's a vision of God's holiness. So where there's sin, there's no open vision. And the word of the Lord was precious in, the, in those days. There was no open vision. There's something that will block your understanding of God's word. It isn't enough to just read God's word. If you want to hear from God, not just read the Bible, you also need to get a vision of God's holiness. Isaiah 29, 11 says, And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. So the word of God was sealed unto him. So you need a vision of God's holy word. And you need a vision of God's holiness. When you get a vision of God's holiness, it humbles you. When you compare those self, yourself to all those around you, you think, well, I'm doing all right. You sit there in a room full of, of men that are in jail and you say, man, I'm doing pretty good. 
But let me tell you something. When you get a vision of God's holiness, it doesn't matter how good you are. You realize that you still need work. You realize how how far you fall short. But when you got a vision of God's holiness, it shines a bright light on your own sins and shortcomings. Over in Isaiah chapter number 6, verse number 1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. This is Isaiah talking about a vision that he had of God. He said, I saw, the Lord, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings and twain. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a vision. And the post of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then look what Isaiah said about himself. He's faced with God's glory and God's holiness. And as he realizes the holiness of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He said, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell In the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you get a vision of God's holiness, you realize the sin in your own life. You don't compare yourself with each other. Uh, Over in the New Testament, I've debated using the verse, but he talked about clouds without rain. He talks about people comparing themselves with themselves as they compare themselves among themselves. You know, and that's what a lot of people do. Well, you know, I ain't as bad as him. But you need to be comparing yourself to God's holiness. You need to see God's holiness for what it is because there's nothing like walking onto a, and I'm going to bring it down to earth a little bit, walking onto a cream-colored carpet to see what kind of mud you've been dragging in. I've gotten in trouble a few times. Coming in with muddy feet over here, and I, you know, I get a phone call. What? Oh, it's all this mud trailed in here. I just cleaned it. But there's nothing like being around the cleanliness, the holiness of God, to reveal your own sin. So holiness isn't just for God. We're saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. In Romans eight twenty nine, it tells us, "For whom He did foreknow." Remember, foreknowledge is part of the equation. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what? To be saved? No. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're conformed. We're we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We won't be completely whole until we get to heaven. But while we are here, there's choices that you make. They draw you closer to God and draw you away from God. Just like Eli and his sons, they made choices. And they drew them further away from God. There was no open vision. God's word was sealed to them. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, Paul said, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And the apostle Peter wrote, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Seeing the glory of God in your life. You know, we lose that vision. And when you lose that vision, this seems all right. That seems it's easy to rationalize things. It's kind of like living life without looking at the budget versus looking at the budget and saying, you know, this needs to come out. So your new life in Christ, you come to the Lord as a sinner. What happens when you get saved? You become a saved sinner. And uh, you once served sin, and now that you're saved, you're to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Over in Romans 6, 11, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a leaving behind. There's a, there's a, there's a turning toward and a leaving behind. You once served sin, now you serve righteousness. You once served Satan, now you serve God. 
Over in uh, 619, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words, the weakness of your flesh, the weakness of your, your, your weakness towards sin. He said, for as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. So holiness isn't just for God. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, Paul wanted to tell him more. You're a new creature in Christ. You're no longer the same person you were before, but many Christians stop their spiritual growth right after walking through the door of salvation. You can argue that they were never saved in the first place. And that's easy. But let me tell you something. When you get out of God's will, is that easy to say? That God, that God didn't save you? That, that you, that in that moment, when you prayed to God and you asked him into your heart, you know, in your heart, you're sincere. You got to follow me on this. This may be just something I went through. I remember, I tell them, I remember years ago, I was sitting in the services. I think I've said this before here recently, but I remember before, I remember sitting in services and, and they were preaching hard and they're saying, well, if you don't remember the time and you don't remember the area and all of this, you know, you've heard this illustration, right? If you don't remember everything specifically, you were probably never even saved. If you've sinned since you were saved, you're probably not even saved. It's real easy to say, hey, you just weren't ever saved. You need to do it again. And I'd already surrendered to preach, and I'm praying, Lord, I want to be right with you. But I don't know. I, I look back. I don't remember. I, I just remember. I just remember that football stadium. I, I remember praying. And I called her up. I called the woman that took me. I'll tell you again. I don't care if you heard it. But I called up the young lady that took me. I was young. She was older than me. But she, uh, she had invited me to the revival meeting at the football stadium in Texas City there. And I remember sitting up there, and I remember, and this comes next, I remember getting a vision of hell. And as I'm up there, I saw hell, and I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that my sin would put me into that lake of fire. And I wanted to do something about it. And they gave the invitation, and I went down there, and she went down there with me, and I saw that fellow up there, and he's just processing everybody like cattle. Next, next, next. I looked up there, and it's like, man, we're talking about eternity here. I didn't say all this. This was going through my mind. I, all I could say was, oh. And I called Miss Tammy Darren. I called her up. I don't know how I got her number. I guess my mom keeps up with things. <laughs> but I called her up. And I said, Tammy, I remember you inviting me to that revival meeting. And I remember bawling my eyes out. And I remember knowing that I was going to hell. I said, and, and I remember seeing the guy up there. She said, and then I prayed with you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then all of a sudden it came flooding back. But that's not what saved me. <laughs> it wasn't the prayer. And that's the thing. The time, the place, it's your heart. With the heart, man believes in righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made. But with the heart, man believes in righteousness. Over there in Romans chapter number 10. So I reached a point, and I was questioning, are you really saved? Look at how your life has been before this point. You got saved at 11, but look at all the things that you've done since then. Look at how you lived in the world. I didn't have anybody to take me to church. I didn't have anybody to teach me anything. I remember going up to the Christian bookstore. There wasn't a lot of help there. You believe it or not? You go there as a kid not knowing Adam from Eve. There's a lot of people that don't know the difference nowadays, but... You go, you go into the Christian bookstore and you're looking for some help and there's a lot of things in there and you don't know what to get. All I knew was I'd been to camp and we memorized verses. I picked up a couple of these little verse memory things. But it didn't help me. And I look back on all those years and I look back on that time in the Navy and I look back on high school and I look back on things that I'd done and it's like, how can you say that you're saved? And y'all can, somebody else can say, well, you were never saved. Okay. Ask God about it. I just know that I was on my knees and I was asking, Lord, I don't know. 
but I want to know. I want to know you, Lord. I, I want to be assured. I want to know salvation. And that battle took place, but you know what I realized? What God showed me in that time? And it's not so much that he spoke audibly or anything, and there wasn't some big revelation, but there came a surrender. There came a point where I said, you know, God, you said in your word, if I ask you, you'll save me. All I can do is trust you to do that. I'd heard Brother Grady talk about Miss Hazel. He said, if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. I said, Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what. And, I, you know, and that's where I realized that true faith is accepting Christ. It's trusting him to do what he said he was due. It's trusting God's word for him enough, enough for him to do what he said he's going to do. And that applies all throughout your Christian walk. You beat yourself up. I mean, you, you move toward God. You draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. But you need to have faith enough that God's going to hold you up. Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Moving toward God and trusting God to help you through those situations. And I'll tell them young men in the jail, and I've told you guys before, I said, be honest with him. Don't sit there and try to reason with God. Don't sit there and try to say, well, you know, I, 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 oh, Lord, and precious and mighty. Be honest with him. Lord, I'm facing a fork in the road right now. I really want to go this way. I need your help to go this other way. There's been things in my life, and I've gotten further down the road, and it's all of a sudden it's like, I'm not doing that anymore because I've been too busy doing this or something else came up or there was a phone call or there was something that stopped you from going the other way. And some of y'all are sitting there thinking, well, I wonder what that was in the preachers. What was it in your life where you went down the other fork? So in order to have a vision of God's word, you need to have a vision of God's holiness. Sin is a killer. The wages of sin is death. Sin is relentless in its pursuit of sinners. It'll keep after you. And the only antidote is the holiness, which you cannot produce on your own. It comes from God, and you must see God's holiness to understand your own uncleanness. And you must yield to his holiness to repel and dispel your uncleanness. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. So we not only need to have a vision of the here and now through a vision of God's holy word, and a vision of God's holiness, but we also need to be able to see into the future with a vision of hell. I talked about sitting in that football stadium and seeing hell. There's a lot of people that are walking around. You know, you, you can't be saved unless you're lost. So follow me on this. You cannot be saved unless you are lost. Now, we spent the whole summer going through Way of the Master, right? So everybody here knows about it. Everybody here knows about the commandments, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law was there to show us our sin. But we also need a vision of hell. You know, that people talk bad about the fire and brimstone preaching of the old days, right? The preacher would get up there and he'd preach on hell. He'd preach hell hot. I tell you what, nowadays they, they got air conditioners on hell. Nowadays, when they preach on hell, well, it's just a separation from God. Oh, yeah, it is. But there's fire involved. I, you know, it's like, oh, you're making it up, preacher. I don't know. You, I'm just going by God's word. Turn over to Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter number 16 talks about two men. It talks about the rich man and it talks about Lazarus. And there's some things that we get from that. We know that it's not a parable. Because Jesus named them. He named Lazarus. And you can argue that. You can say, well, in the Greek, it really, okay. Also, at the end of the Bible, it talks about, in Revelation 20, it talks about death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. Talked about whosoever was not written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen? There is a hell. And there's a way to preach it. 
while you're there in Luke 16, I'm just going to get something from Jude here. Over in the book of Jude, and I've thought about this, and people say, well, you, you, you're just trying to scare them into hell. You're just trying to scare them into heaven. And it's like, well, sometimes it takes that. I mean, it's kind of like going out on the golf course and, and saying you can't use a five iron. That doesn't make sense, does it? Saying you can't use your best club. Saying you, you, it's kind of like going, going up to work on something and leaving your socket wrench behind. And you say, well, you reduced it to a tool? No, but God uses what God uses. And this talks about it over in the book of Jude. Verse number 14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. In other words, they look up to the rich man. They look up to other people because of their, you know, because of their words. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. You ever step out of your own shell and witness to somebody, you'll see some of that. I mean, you can see it without even witnessing. You can see people are full of themselves. You can see people walking through town with a camera on themselves as they broadcast it to the world. You know, technology is neat, but man, that's one thing, Jeannie, you can't put back in the bottle. Everybody's got a camera on themselves, and it's all about them. These are murmur, uh, verse number 18, how that they told you there should be Mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> There's your holiness. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And pay attention to these two verses. Verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You hear that? And some, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. There's a place for preaching on hell. There's a place for scaring people. There's also a place for showing God's love. But if you get lopsided, you're not giving the whole gospel. If all you do is tell people how, you know, well, God loves you and God, you know, what you win them with is what you win them to, me and Dee say all the time. You got to be careful what you're winning them with. You win them with a bike rally, you're going to have to keep them with a bike rally. You win them with the gospel of Jesus Christ it's the, and, and the word of God, that's all it takes to fill somebody spiritually. You don't have to satisfy their flesh all the time, but you can satisfy their spirit. But the preaching on hell is a necessity. You take it out, you just, you, you've lost. Because there is something to avoid at the end. There is a condemnation. There is an eternal punishment. And you say, well, what about this? What about Uncle Harry? What about this and that? What about, what about, what about you? You're sitting here listening to the word of God right now. You're sitting here knowing that there is an eternity in hell. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now, I know this is a rough way to go at it, but think about it. Have you just been hanging on to? I heard the story of a man witnessing to a Lutheran. It was Brother Bevins Welder. He was, listening, he, uh, was witnessing to an 85-year-old man. He was a Lutheran. He said, well, yeah, we don't call it saved, but, you know, I've been a Christian. He said, well, really, how long have you been a Christian? He said, oh, my whole life. You know, there's a time in your life when you realize that you're a sinner. And there's a time in your life. You don't have to remember what seat in the football stadium you were sitting in. But you need to know there was a time in your life when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He said, all my whole life. So you can't get somebody saved if they're not already lost. 
You need to have a vision of hell. But it doesn't stop there. People say, oh, that's negative. Well, there's a lot of negative. You know, but there's also the positive. Because not only do you need to have a vision of God's holy word, and you need to have a vision of God's holiness. And you need to have a vision of hell because you understand the consequences of sin. You understand what's in the future. And that's that knowing that is what brings you to salvation. But you need to have a vision of heaven. You can't wear yourself out on hell, but you can look ahead toward heaven as a Christian and know that you have a destination. Remember I talked about being on that water and looking toward You see God's holiness, you read it in God's word, and you see that vision of heaven. And let me tell you something, in my own life, I've seen people that have looked for, people that were on death's door. The body's racked with cancer and whatnot. And I remember, you know, being Matt, we have a recording of Dr. Peacock, and Matt put some music with it. And he, you've heard it, where he preaches on hell and he talks or talk, preaches on heaven and he gives the whole picture from the Bible but he paints this picture of everything that's going on about the marriage supper of the lamb and all that you know I had that record my friend Barry who I who I used to work with in Statesboro I don't know if it's going to get me or not but my friend Barry they, him and his wife they were the first couple I'd ever married I was so afraid at their wedding I was going to say Harry and Beather. <laughs> but, you know, those two had come together. You know, they got married. And then when we came out here, and Barry had told me if he was dying of cancer. And, you know, we weren't close, close friends, but it meant a lot. And I didn't know what else to do. I had, I had this song in my head, you know, won't you give me your fly, my flowers while I'm living and let me enjoy them while I can, you know. That was going through my head over and over again. I got in the car, me and Megan, we drove out to Georgia, and I saw him in the hospital. And there he was. He was racked with cancer. He'd been in and out of the hospital. I don't know how much he weighed, but it was a lot less than he used to weigh, and he was a skinny fellow before. I remember seeing him sitting on that hospital bed, and he gets up. You know, he's done the chemo and all that, but he gets up. And I remember him packing his own bag, and I remember him gathering his own stuff. And we had talked about the Lord before. And he told me he was saved. And uh, I don't know. I didn't go there to do it, but I had that on my phone, that recording. I played that to him, and he listened to that. And he just hand went up in the air, and you could just see in his eyes that's not the end. He had a vision of heaven. Now that's just some man talking. That's Dr. Peacock just preaching a sermon years ago, but he was preaching it based on God's word. But what I'm saying is, in the Bible, John talks it about it in Revelation. As much as, as he talks about hell, he talks about the lake of fire, but he also talks about the glory that's in heaven. He talks about the pearly gate. He talks about the street of gold. He talks about that city coming up. There's a vision. There's a day coming. I remember Brother Grady. I remember in the, in the sermons that Brother Grady preached, Brother Grady had that oxygen bottle, and he sat up on the stool in his last days, and he'd been in and out of the hospital. And I don't know what he was suffering from. I think it was from his carpentry. He was a cabinet maker. He didn't have a dust catcher or anything, one, in his shed. And he was suffering from emphysema, but he'd get up there and preach. And his sermons, you know, he, he didn't get into the Greek and the Hebrew. He didn't get into all of this, you know, this time period. That time. He just got up and preached Jesus. I look back at his sermons on paper, and it's just like, man, he's just throwing stuff together. But let me tell you, you listen to his sermons, he might have been just throwing, homiletically just throwing stuff together. But let me tell you something, Brother Grady's heart was coming out in his preaching. And when he preached about Jesus and he preached about his Savior, and he sang that song, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Remember that? Or going home. Going home. Hey, man, he, he belted him out. But he was looking forward to that day. I think I got one of the last recordings 
before he passed away that Tuesday night, and they called me, and I went out there. But when you got a vision of heaven, it makes all this. It doesn't matter. When you got a vision of heaven, dying of cancer, all of that, you know that God's got something better for you. When you got a vision of heaven, it, you don't fear the one that can kill the body. You love the one that's already saved your soul. Knowing that there's a life after death and knowing that there's rewards in eternity makes a life that you live on this earth just a pittance, just a small thing compared to what you're going to gain. Jesus told us that he was going to prepare us a home. He said, let not your heart be troubled over John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, and this is where I pick on the new modern versions, in my father's house are many mansions. If you carry around the modern version, all you get is a room. But in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And in the Apostle Paul, he got a glimpse of heaven. They think it might have been when he was knocked out. It doesn't matter. But Paul wrote, he said, is it, not, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body. It's like he ascended for just a short time. He said, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I, knew such a, uh, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one I, will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been accused falsely. Paul had been imprisoned. Paul had been shipwrecked. None of that mattered when he had a vision of heaven ahead of him. Heaven is real. John describes it. So you just don't need a vision of God's holy word, a vision of God's holiness, a vision of hell, a vision of heaven. Because that's all about you. That's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's something else we're here for. You also need a vision of the harvest. In John 4.35, Jesus says, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And when he told the disciples that, it was in John chapter number 4, and the woman at the well had gone to her town, and she told him, Come see a man which told me everything I ever did. And they go, and there he sees them coming over the hill, and he tells the disciples, the fields are already white. The way is prepared. They all want to know. God's been preparing other people's hearts. You look at this world, and you can get caught up in the news, and you can get caught up in what's going on. And I've, I've been kind of blessed. I, I've been able to look at it and be surprised. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. I pray that keeps up. I, I kind of don't want to. I, I reach a point. I don't know what I can do. I can't do anything. But I can get more done doing work for the Lord. And it doesn't matter how much sins in the world God has worked on somebody's heart somewhere. It doesn't matter how much sin someone has committed and has put them in jail and put them down at the bottom of the, of the barrel and all they can do is look up God's been working on their heart. I go in there and there's men telling me what I'm about to say before I say it. I start talking about Romans 6. He's telling me about Romans 7. It's like, okay, we're going to get there. <laughs> I bring up David and Bathsheba. I see some head nods. The fields are already white under harvest. I feel like I'm going there to train preachers to train the other people in some cases. But you never know who you're reaching. 
But the point is, it doesn't matter how this world looks. It doesn't matter how Greece looked. It doesn't matter how corrupt Rome was at the end. It doesn't matter how corrupt it was during World War II over there in Germany or what was going on. God is still working. Elijah was under the juniper tree, and he said, I am not better than my fathers. And God said, I have, what is it, 5,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. God's got a remnant, and God's got people that he's working on their heart, and he needs you to be ready. How many times have we been ready when we're in the grocery store? When we, how many times? How many times do you think that God said, why don't you go talk to them? And he said, well, I really need to do this. And the Lord said, okay. I'm going to go talk to Pastor Daddy over here. He'll talk to him. I'm going to go talk to this other fellow. He, doesn't, he likes to witness. You know, they just went out to Mardi Gras. I didn't have the nerve to go out there and street preach. I ain't ready for that one yet. <laughs> I told you all, first time I went to street preaching, all I could think about was the fellow wearing the sign saying, the end of the world is near. But I've told you all the story, and I never regretted going. Got tricked into it one time. That wasn't, I don't think the Lord was in that one. We went up to Atlanta. He gets out and he hands me a sign. I said, what's this for? <laughs> but we need a vision of the harvest. We need to see the lost souls out there. <clears throat> Acts 16.9, it says, In a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Peter was up on the roof and he was praying and God, God was already, had already spoken to Cornelius and said, there's a man over here I want you to send somebody to. And by the time Peter caught up, they were already at the door knocking. You must see the light, the lost souls outside the immediate sphere of your family and church friends. And then when somebody gets saved, they become somebody else and be a witness and a testimony. So get a vision. Get outside yourself. Look down the road. Get in the book. Live a holy life. Preach hell. Don't be afraid of it. And preach heaven. Live for heaven. Look up to heaven and enter the harvest.